internet, is your war finally over? My name is Matthew Kroll. And Godzilla looks really ticked off. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Godzilla Minus One. Now, if you've been listening, oh, well, first off, this is an emergency broadcast. This is good, this was organized as an emergency broadcast. We were not planning on doing Godzilla minus one until we received at least three different ma- emails and messages, and then there were a couple more social media posts about it after that. Uh-huh. And then I, being the TikToker that I am, yeah, you are you are quite fellow young people. I am a fellow young person <laughs> on TikTok. Um, did see many uh, of the famed TikTok reviewers proclaiming Godzilla minus one as the not just the best Godzilla movie, but the best movie of the year. Yeah. And so uh, we were at an event. We, we talked about this last week on our May-December episode, but we were at an event where I kind of, you know, relayed all this information to you. And there was this kind of urgency about it. We were like, well, the movie's only going to be in town for another four days. Yep. Are we going to make this happen? If we're going to make this happen, are we going to do this? And then we enlisted our friend of the show, Nick Parker, who is the best human being to get you to say yes to anything. <laughs> like he just has that energy. He's been on our trolls episode. He's been on the it's Warcraft not peer episode. Pressure, but it's, it's like, not. But yeah. He's just so joyous about everything. Yeah. That after this holiday party with some old uh, television friends, uh, <laughs> we uh, decided to walk from the 20s to the upper 60s through, yeah. down up Broadway, up right. Broadway, yeah. <laughs> uh, and see a 1030 showing of this Monday night, two nights ago. Right. And, and from this recording. Yeah. And so now this is an emergency broadcast. There's a lot of movies coming out at the end of the year. We just talked about Poor Things, which is coming out, The Iron Claw, which we're going to be talking about, um, The Taste of Things, which is the Tranan Hong Huang film that I really want to see as well. There's lots of movies coming out, and we're going to have to do that thing that we do every year, which is our best of list, is probably going to come out in October of next year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. October, November 2024. <laughs> be on the lookout. Check yeah, yeah. it. <laughs> um, but that's just because there's so much good stuff to catch up on. Yeah. And, and then we get interrupted. By a big, scaly monster from the depths of the ocean. That's true. Who we were not expecting, which is precisely how Godzilla attacks. Yeah, that's basically how maybe the a third of Godzilla movies start. There's a lot of Godzilla movies. So this is where this is where we should begin. Okay. Godzilla. I, uh, as I discussed last week, I recall seeing some of these as a kid. Um, but I don't remember movies in their entirety. Okay. I remember little sequences. I remember Mothra. I remember the, you know, Godzilla versus Mothra. Sure. Um, I, before the recording of this podcast, decided to look at a few trailers for old movies. How'd that so, work? Uh, uh, Godzilla's son, Manila, looks adorable. And there's also, Godzilla has a wife at one point and a daughter. Yeah, you know what? You do raise an interesting point, though. Is Godzilla male? I think in uh, in traditional Toho films, Godzilla is designated as it or they. Uh, sure. With but no, then it no gets gender specified. Wacky yeah. In like the late 70s, early 80s. Wait, I so Godzilla say? gets a wife? Did you there's say? Some, okay, there's one, and I cannot remember the name of this. Bride Godzilla, of Godzilla? heads. Uh, <laughs> no, it's like there's one where they go, it's like an island, but it turns out to be like the dream of a little girl. It's yeah. like it's, it, but there's a family and a baby Godzilla that befriends the girl. I got her. Manila. Find this. That's Manila. Oh, that's Manila? Manila the Manila the Godzilla, which is like kind of like uh Miguel the Gorilla. Yeah, I forget <laughs> when that came out. But uh, uh, but as I said, uh these were not movies I really uh ate up as a kid. I didn't know a lot about them, didn't see a lot of them. I was aware of their existence, of course. And then in 1997, I believe it was, the Roland Emmerich film dropped when it was like, oh, we're gonna, you know, bring America, Godzilla to America, reinvent reinvent. Uh, they, I guess. And um, and then, as it turned out, I believe Godzilla in the 1997 version was a female. 
uh, because she yes. laid she laid eggs in Madison Square Garden. Yep. Uh, also, Puff Daddy did the soundtrack to that. And it was pretty pretty boss. Ninety eight. Yeah. Ninety eight. Um, then there was a two thousand and I want to say thir- twelve or thirteen, maybe two thousand fourteen. Uh, Gareth Edwards film. Is it Gareth Edwards or Gareth? Yeah. Evans? Well, it's, it's the starting the yeah the current I guess legendary pictures monster verse right. Um, I rem- I recall you and I talking about that movie, but I don't think we saw it together. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's Gareth Edwards. It was 2014. I remember my feeling about it was it was an extraordinarily designed film. It was sure. Very beautiful to look at. And Gareth Edwards, of course, was a famous VFX artist who turned filmmaker. Uh, we just talked about his film, The Creator, a couple of weeks ago as well. Um, and uh, but I recall you really not liking it. I remember you were yeah. like, this movie Are really- Are we sure we didn't talk about it on the podcast? Did we do an episode? Email us in only no, we did podcast not do enough, because the movie came out in 2014, before we started the podcast. Oh, oh. maybe this was in our-, our We our talked about it at, about some, yeah. at some point. Yeah, yeah. this movie was uh, rough with a capital rough. Mm-hmm. Um, I just could not get behind anything other than Ken Watanabe, uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson, and um, Elizabeth Olsen were also in it. And they, <laughs> they made, were in it. They, they sure made were. the humans of that movie the most- unlikable boring things not them specifically the movie itself made them that like right. there was nothing oh that was the movie that teased brian cranston in all the trailers as the main character and i'm gonna spoil this movie for you because i fucking don't like it he dies in the first like 15 minutes is that a problem if the tra- like so okay here's here's where it's so structurally no right however i think they knew that no other there were two characters in this movie that had any sort of charisma or reason to be there and that was ken watanabe and brian cranston right and they killed brian cranston off in the beginning and if you're gonna do that you need to do something magical with it like metal gear solid 2 does with raiden and snake i was gonna you do what will you do a hot swap uh on the on the thing but like nowhere like every promotional thing made brian cranston out to be uh seem like a main character the surprise in and of itself is not a bad thing but yeah. you need to land that you can't do an amazing triple backflip and then land on your face and then expect everyone to clap like it's it's just didn't work for me okay i get it didn't work for you but of course i'm going to mention the janet lee and psycho thing uh steven seagal and executive decision you know as as pre uh preambles for this type of uh, uh approach to a movie Right. But the difference is those deliver on the movie they show you right. after I the think, bullshit. I think what you're saying is those movies were good yeah. and this was not good. So that thing. So this that, is a dangerous annoyed you much like a triple backflip. It is a dangerous maneuver to do and you better make damn sure you can stick the landing or it will tank your movie, in my opinion. OK, but then I I, I just wonder just very, you know, uh, tentatively there is the is the issue, the killing off of Brian Cranston or the fact that none of the characters were interesting. I think it's that none of the characters were interesting. It's that none of the characters were interesting. And the one reason that they teased and they tried to do a rug pull and be like, whoa, isn't this crazy? Uh, took away one of the only good things of the movie very, very early. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> um, and so we've, of course, got the, uh, uh, I guess these are American legendary productions version yes. of Godzilla. We've got uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters, Godzilla versus Kong. Godzilla and Kong have faced off before in the Japanese films as well. Uh, but the fact that Godzilla minus one has reemerged in the scene, especially in the year of Oppenheimer, um, highlights one of the interesting things about Godzilla as a cultural touchpoint, which is that Godzilla was a reference to uh, the dropping of the bomb in Hiroshima and Nagasaki and a, a kind of a um, cultural response to that event. Of course. Um, and, you know, much of Godzilla's uh, folklore and mythology is based around the fact that he is awoken by a nuclear bomb and he... Uh, has nuclear power. He's also um, 
I think I read, uh, oh, I didn't actually read the article. Uh, there was a headline uh, because I couldn't get to the article, but uh, in Vulture, they wrote an article about an undiscerning God, uh, which, you know, the idea that Godzilla is indifferent to the destruction upon which it wreaks, which is similar to the way that, um, you know, the atomic bomb was responded to. It's this, it's this sort of indiscriminate uh, event that, uh, that uh, you know, destroyed lives yeah. uh, and, and reverberated through culture en masse. That's definitely where the genesis of Godzilla came from. And then Godzilla sort of morphed uh, <laughs> into over time. Into campy fun. Yeah. Well, not even into, for, first, even before campy fun, almost as a defender of Japan. Yeah. Like he it started destroying well, Japan and then other monsters came along and then he fought the monsters off. Yeah, let um, them fight. Yeah, like for instance, uh, the one, I, I mentioned this on the last podcast, but we're talking about Godzilla now, so let's fucking go. Uh, June uh, Fukuda's uh, 1973 Godzilla versus Megalon, Megalodon, okay. Mega... Mega, I think it's Megalon. Megalon. Yeah. Uh, was the VHS tape that I just burnt through. Like it was, you couldn't even watch it anymore. It was so watched. Like yeah. I, I, that movie weirdly. Yeah. Might be the film I've seen the most. Wow. Like okay. sat my butt down and did nothing else and watched it. There right. were days I watched it two or three times. Right. Like okay. it was, it, that's basically, and that's like had a bunch of monsters and Godzilla was a good guy, though Godzilla took a back seat in that one. It was uh, Megalon, Jet Jaguar, which was kind of like an Ultraman ripoff. Yeah. Uh, Gigan, uh, Arungus and Radon. Okay. And uh, it just, it, it's one of those things when I was watching it when I was a kid, it wasn't like I was like, whoa, this is so real. I'm like, whoa, adults like th this. Is, this is a goofy thing that's being treated seriously. Right. And I loved the juxtaposition of it. Like yeah. it was I, I won't say that I realized like anything about film craft or or yeah. the way stories can be told, but it felt new because it was marrying many different things that in most films that I'd seen at the time wouldn't even possibly be next to each other. Right. All the monsters in one place. Yeah. Well, not <laughs> only just monsters like that, but like, not like, 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 like putting camp next to serious yeah. next to mini models, next to giant things in suits and special effects. Like it just, I hadn't seen all of the pieces together and it was just, I, I fucking love that movie. <laughs> you know, it's funny uh, again, cause I have very little reference point for this. Uh, I looked up uh, Collider had an article of ranking all 37 of the Godzilla Ooh. movies uh, coming in dead last was the, was the Roland Emmerich movie at 37 coming in. Number one uh, for them was Godzilla, Mothra and King Ghidorah. Uh, Ghidra. Ghidra. Or uh, Monster Zero. Giant, giant Monsters All Out Attack from 2001 was their number one uh, Godzilla movie. And uh, we can talk about where Godzilla minus one lands in that. Uh, but you and I, as I mentioned, well, do you have any any other lingering thoughts about what Godzilla has meant to you growing up? Um, Godzilla was also, I think, the first time eventually, and this is year. I mean, when I was watching uh, uh, Godzilla versus Megalon, uh, I was eight, right. seven, you know, like something, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then maybe when I was twelve or thirteen. I don't want I, it's funny. I try to get my cinematic timeline right, but I don't sure. know like when I started realizing like, oh, movies are made by people. Yeah. You but mentioned um, Escape from New York. Escape from New York was the first time that I was like, I realized that and I realized I wanted to do it. And I was like, oh, but, but I forget if this was if I made this realization about films based on Godzilla movies after that. It feels like I did. OK, but it's that not only are movies made by people. Right. Different people eventually make the same movie. It's and like I know that seems like a very dumb childish thing to say, but I was a dumb child. OK, <laughs> uh, like I was like, oh, uh, you know, 
I realized, let's say John Carpenter made Escape from New York. Yeah. No one else could ever make Escape from New York. John Carpenter made Escape from New York. Okay. Like, uh, and I didn't think of IP in the way that I know now and we all do. Yeah. Uh, so Godzilla was the time when I started watching different Godzilla movies, even across the different eras with different directors and different styles and different, you know, is it a, is it a, a actual horror film of the psychological scarring from World War II? Yeah. Is it a dream of a little girl having befriending Godzilla's son or whatever? Like, yeah. is it just an all out monster brawl with destruction for pleasure? Like, yeah. There's all sorts of different things. And it was, I was like, oh, these are different groups or people's takes okay. on, on a character. I was like, ah, okay. So it is like, just, I think this was the first, this franchise was the first time that I kind of like internalized that as a movie goer when I was a kid. So when you did, um, what did you notice? And again, I'm asking this just because I have very little reference here. Yeah. The distinction between the Japanese portrayal of Godzilla versus what, you know, there's only been a few American portrayals of Godzilla. Like, what what do you kind of notice as like, because because to me, there was a really pointed distinction that was being made in this film as a modern blockbuster yeah. in terms of the way, and, and again, I don't want to make a broad generalization here about a culture through a movie, but it, there was a distinction being made for me about about the way blockbuster films operate and about the way in which... Uh, heroism in these kinds of films operate, which is very different in American culture versus uh, what I saw in Godzilla minus one. Yeah. Was there any kind of like sense of that as you were watching, you know, like when 1997's Godzilla rolled around, you couldn't avoid that movie. You know, no. like, like it was one of the biggest things on the planet. And the soundtrack. And the soundtrack. And it was akin one to like- Headlight by the Wallflowers was on it, I think too. Was it really? Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I guess Godzilla's kind of technically two headlights. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but was there any, like, did, did, did that- kind of enter into the conversation so yes i did not like the 1998 roland emmerich godzilla i thought it was campy in all of the wrong ways and it's (laughs) funny because when you reboot something and it feels campy yeah but the, the thing you're rebooting or redoing is already campy in many aspects of it and you don't get it right. right. It just feels wrong to me. Right. Uh, so I was real down on uh, Americanized Godzilla's even when I went to go see uh, Gareth Edwards <laughs> version. Yeah. That didn't get me too much. Godzilla King of the Monsters in 2019, I thought was sort of going in the right direction. Uh, Godzilla versus Kong was fine. I have no, and then now the but new did one. You, but did you notice a cultural difference? Oh yeah, in, in the way that Godzilla is represented in American movies versus the way Godzilla is dealt with and represented in, yeah, or even just storytelling. They they, well, okay. From the origin point of Godzilla, yes, yeah. but by the time America got its grubby little paws <laughs> on Godzilla as an IP, yeah. Godzilla had been through so many non-serious, non-this-is-about-the-cultural-scarring-of-a-terrible-atrocity-that-happened-to-a-people yeah. that it moving over to whatever we were doing with it didn't feel shocking or or weird it just felt bad and like a worse flavor of it okay um the thing that actually it took me a a a day or two to actually realize about godzilla minus one sort of on that trajectory Mm -hmm. i feel like weirdly enough out of the god 37 what did you say it was it was something crazy 37 movies but that includes american yeah, yeah yeah but out of all of those many of which are reboots and some of them very well loved reboots yeah. like godzilla 2000 um there was uh the, the big giant monster battle one you talked about godzilla mothra and king ghidra giant shin monster. godzilla just yeah. a few years shin ago godzilla yeah. so they there's been a bunch and yeah. i've seen a decent amount of them yeah this film 
feels like the first like legitimate reboot take. Hmm. Maybe not legitimate. Legitimate's wrong. The first reboot that does what the old movie set out to do. Yeah. Well, it legitimizes what the first movie was. Yeah. Which is the attack on uh, Ode Island, I think Mm -hmm. it is. Um, you know, that's recreated in this film as well. And this is, uh, the first one that's set in post in very close to post-World War II Japan. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, it is like recapturing the essence of the nuclear, uh, the, the, the dropping of the nuclear bomb in Hiroshima. And again, perhaps just by coincidence, it comes as that topic gets revisited this year, um, in such a grand way with Oppenheimer that this, this movie actually works as a really interesting, um, uh, double hitter with Oppenheimer. It, it, it feels yeah. like you can you can have these two movies in conversation with, with one another. And one is a you know one is a sort of a fantasy blockbuster, and one is a sort of um, serious biopic. But they still have a conversation between them running, um, just perhaps in the way we've seen them, and the way we've experienced them, and the, and the way they appear in in uh, our cultural mainstay. But I, I felt that that was a really distinction, you know, because when we, if you recall our conversation about Oppenheimer, the thing that I sort of pointed out about Oppenheimer was the sense that the Japan, the, the consequence of the bomb to Japanese people was not really addressed in the film, right. except through the internalization of Robert Oppenheimer. And I felt that that was a missed opportunity uh, for that film to actually engage in that discussion, because there were scenes in that movie where Oppenheimer is you know, pointedly looking at imagery of, of what the bomb has done and the audience is not um, brought into that. Um, there's a great essay about that. Uh, I can't remember who did it, but they they counterpoint referenced uh, Judgment at Nuremberg, where in, in that movie, in Judgment at Nuremberg, they showed, uh, you know, like it's a fictional film about the a recreation of the Nuremberg trials, but they show footage from uh, World War II to illustrate, like real footage from World War II to yeah. illustrate the point for the audience why these trials mattered and what was important, what was at stake for the people being put on trial during that. And I and I kind of felt um, there was some uh, some missed opportunity in Oppenheimer to do that. So it's interesting now to get this film, which is so steeped in um, nuclear imagery, um, but is ostensibly a fantasy film, and deals in detail with a kind of unique fixture uh, of uh, the Japanese military approach, which is kamikaze pilots. It's not something we've seen discussed a lot. There are movies about kamikaze pilots. I believe Tora 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 uh, is one of the big ones. Okay. Um, fact check me on that if I've got that wrong, by the way. It's been a while since I've seen Tora 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 Tora. Um, but, uh, you know, the, 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 the notion that the central character in, in this film is a failed kamikaze pilot uh, is one that is loaded uh, with potential storytelling um uh, I guess unique opportunities, and it and it does something interesting. I'm gonna butcher my geopolitics here, and I apologize in advance to everyone who I get this wrong. But I think the feeling of what I'm gonna talk about still is correct, even if I get some of the dates and times wrong. Yeah. Um. So the cool thing that this movie does mm-hmm. that I'm pretty sure no other Godzilla movie does in this particular way is it makes. The human, how do I, how do I, how do I, the human character story is both important to the world that it's set in along with them. Right. And by that, I mean this movie, um, and this gets into a little bit of, this isn't really, it's the minorest of spoilers. Um, you, 
in in most other Godzilla movies, it's a bunch of government officials running around or a big old scientist somewhere. And like it's like kind of the uh, the upper crust of uh, wherever, whatever society is dealing with these monsters having to come together and make a plan with the military and try to take it down. Right. This movie uses some pretty realistic geopolitics. Like sometimes America would come and uh, help. Yeah. Sometimes you would like, yeah. all this other stuff here. They're like, no, it, you, the U.S. can't because they're worried it's going to spook the Soviets. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, that's exactly what would fucking happen. Like, yeah. it, or something like it in that way. Right. And the military's not doing anything or we don't see them do anything. Yeah. And so it's up to literal civilians, mm -hmm. one of whom made a very hard choice during a war that they didn't believe in or didn't want to die for anyway. Yeah that had to come back and rejoin that society that basically hated him. And yeah. there's something really awesome about putting the solution to the problem of Godzilla or the problem that Godzilla represents into the people's hands mm -hmm. as opposed to the government. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because this movie, I, I feel I could, mm -hmm. maybe there could be interviews and things mm -hmm. or anything that could prove me wrong, but the vibe I got was, this movie didn't look terribly um, <laughs> uh, nicely at the Japanese government, the governing embodiment of Japan, not the people of Japan or what Japan believed in, but the government of Japan that got them into the war. And, and then, yeah, I, it, it takes two to fucking tango and the U.S. is guilty of a bunch of shit. But yeah. like the J Jap Japan's uh, entry into that war was one of the reasons why the atrocity occurred when uh, the United States bombed Japan. Right. Um, again, we, we talked about this more in um, Oppenheimer a bit and right. the, and the fucking nightmare scenario that the U S unleashed on Japan. Yeah. Um, but I found that very interesting and kind of like it gave, it did something that I've never really noticed. And in a Godzilla movie before that made me like care a lot about every human character. Yeah. It's because they weren't it from the old ones. They're a little more mm. cookie cutter, military scientists, whatever mm. these characters, especially uh, our lead. Sh who, uh, Shin. Uh, sorry, I'm going to butcher the name. Oh, here, yeah. but, uh, Shikishima. Yeah. Shikishima. Um, they, they basically like, I don't know. There was a way to tie the cultural impact of the original story to a main character in an interesting and modern feeling way, but also never have it feel like it's overstepping its boundaries or be like, oh, it's 2023, baby. Like it it felt very of its time and probably a, it, it feels like a way many people might have felt. And that felt really it was super honest feeling, especially for a Godzilla movie. I think the one thing uh, I was talking to a couple of a couple of listeners who were messaging me about the movie uh, the one thing is, you know, and we should actually uh, uh, give a synopsis of the plot at some point. But the one thing about this movie that I was like quite taken by was, and, and this is in comparison to Napoleon uh, that we just discussed yep. and the Marvels, for example, you know, just as two close reference points, is that it has a central thesis. Mm -hmm. It has a central argument that it is trying to make about the value of human life. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, Shin, uh, Shinsiku, I'm oh, sorry, um, Shikshima at the beginning of the film is a kamikaze pilot and that is de that is deemed to be an honorable um an honorable mission and the fact that he fails or you know 
essentially chickens out of that mission, mm -hmm. um, makes him seen as a lesser, and it is a trauma that he has to carry. Not that he was going to be a kamikaze pilot, but that he failed in becoming a kamikaze pilot. You know, like that was the that was the mission of the movie. And in fact, when he lands on uh, Ode Ode Island, I believe it is yeah. or Obey Island, um, you know, he has an opportunity to rid the world of Godzilla in the first few minutes, but again, is scared by it. Um, you know, look, it's not, it's glib to sort of compare it in this way, but it's, it's back to the future, you know, like, uh, you're too chicken McFly. And by the end of the film, he's not, yeah. you know, like, or he knows better by the end of the film. Um, I think, you know, unlike the other movies I just mentioned, this is a movie which actually has a clear thesis about what it's trying to say. And the fact that it is a Godzilla movie after the fact is just the icing on the cake. You know, I because of the 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 rave reviews that we've been receiving, I kind of expected to go in and get Mad Max Fury Road. And at, you know, while it's not on the same level as that, uh, I did walk away going, you know what? I think on the level of Mad Max Fury Road, having a clear thesis about what is mm -hmm. heroism and what it is to do to def what it is one needs to do in order to protect the 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 most vulnerable. That film has a clear thesis, as does this. Spectacle for purpose. Yeah, spectacle for purpose. Exactly. <laughs> Godzilla is uh, an uh, indiscriminate god that you know wreaks havoc. But the but what is important is the human stories that are within it. Now, we should get into the actual details of the movie itself because I did think some of it was a little unconvincing and a little bit was sort of emotional props being used, particularly a, a, a young girl by the name of Akiko. But but it I worked. Think, uh, but it worked. <laughs> it did work. And and I. You know, uh, I would rather take something that worked that uh, that that has something to say that might be a little bit unconvincing to me, but did actually function. And I was like, you know, this is where we should be coming from. Oh, this is what we should be expecting from a blockbuster. Yeah. I also want to make it clear when we left the theater yeah. and it was like one thirty or two in the morning and yeah. we'd, we'd, I'd been drinking. I'm still recovering from that, by the way. Are you like, really? I, I don't I don't, oh, go you don't out. do that a lot. Yeah, I don't go out. Um, I was warm on the movie but i wasn't like i remember saying something on lines of like oh man like i don't see how this sort of lived up to yeah, the to hype that i overhyped yeah it. yeah but i gotta say that i've thought about this movie uh more so much so where it was we so spoiler alert i guess or, or sort of peek behind the curtain we recorded our may december episode this morning and right. now in the evening we're recording godzilla it's the holidays we got to get ahead yeah, yeah it yeah. is what it is um i had a hard time sort of like I can keep normally one movie in my head at a time to really discuss on the podcast sure. and have like, and I was having a hard time when I was prepping for the, this morning's uh, record. Yeah. Like I was excited about Godzilla. Yeah. Not that, the, believe me, May, December we talked about is yeah. fucking great. Yeah. But like, this is a movie that has grown on me. I, I am now, uh, you know, mm. I am the monster. Right. I have been irradiated. Mm. And now I, it's like it, I, I look back on it and I think about moments in it. And I'm I'm way more smitten than I was when we walked out of the thing. And I think I have a re not a reason, but a, a, a really magical fact came okay. up that I did not know. OK, I was watching Movie Bob. Okay. Uh, Movie Bob had a wonderful uh, episode on Godzilla. He loved it. Yeah. Um, uh, I think he liked it more than me, but I I really yeah. do agree with a lot of his points. Yeah, I did not realize. That this movie's director Takashi uh, Yamazaki yeah. is the reason I got interested in Japanese film. Okay. Which film? The Returner. Okay. So The Returner is a film 
that I got into because it's funny. I did a tangent. I started with Korean cinema and I kind of moved over to Japanese cinema. Yeah. Um, the returner is, I don't know. I call like back in the day, I'm trying to find the date of when the returner came out 2002. 2002. Yeah. So the returner was kind of like from a special effects standpoint, mm-hmm. What if the Matrix but J- J- Japan? Like okay. it's not, the plot isn't the same as the Matrix, but it's sure. it's. I mean, if you look at the look it up, dear uh, listener, I'm, I'm at home. watching the trailer as we speak, and I I recall this movie when I was in college, but I didn't see it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's and I'm listen. I'm not going to say it's like a masterwork of cinema, but I'll tell you one thing. I as the college student, me like loved it, and this made me want to go watch right. a bunch of uh you know uh just Japanese cinema and. To be completely honest, the I I I fell off of him as a director. Yeah, uh, I don't. A lot think of anime. There's a lot of anime yep. in there. A lot of animated films. He has an always series. Always. Um, yeah. Always returned to. Sunset. Yeah. He kind of went to like not rom commy but like uh, dramas. Yeah. Um. And so I fell off, and I had no idea that this was the same man that directed Godzilla minus one. And the second I learned that on movie Bob's video, yeah, like a lot of stylistic choices that he made, mm-hmm. even though the movies are vastly different and I don't think the returner is a, is a great film. They're just things in it that I think are great. Yeah. <laughs> um, it all kind of clicked. Like I remember when I walked out of the, the cinema and I was, I think I said something along the lines of like the, the, the dialogue, even though I liked it, did feel a little like soap opera. Yeah. Yeah. But then I'm like, I, but I didn't mind it. And I remember actually being taken aback by that in the return. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Like, and I just, I don't know. I made a lot of weird little, like a lot of uh, brain juices connected at that <laughs> point. And oh, I was gross. just, yeah, I know. Ew. Gross. Um, I, I couldn't believe that this was the same dude. And I love that it's what? 21 years, no, 31 20. years. 21 years. Yeah, it's, it's been a while. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a while. Uh, it's been a while. So, uh, yeah. Well, the, one of the things was that uh, the director, um, uh, Takeshi, Takeshi Yamaka, Yamazaki, ha- was on the Carter Crew uh, podcast. Oh, Carter Crew YouTube oh, the, channel. The, the, the visual effects. Fi- judge the visual effects. Judge yeah. the visual effects. And they talked to him about it. And because the I think part of the marketing campaign is to point out the fact that he was the director and visual effects supervisor for this film and is a visual effects artist himself. So he has the capacity to model things in three, you know, like he talked about how he designed uh, Godzilla in ZBrush, handed it over to an artist. And then like, you know, he has the ability to kind of actually jump into those programs yeah. and understand them. And he was the VFX supervisor on set. So he would understand how a shot was going to be breaking down, broken down, you know, really good examples of the train sequences, you know, he knew, okay, we can shoot this sequence from here and then add the mirror, you know, add the glass in front of it and then add the reflections to that in order to tell that story of what Godzilla is doing. And the interesting thing is, I think he talked about the fact that he would love to do a star Wars movie. Or he would love to, you know, uh, there's been an ongoing conversation about the way Marvel chooses directors and the way Marvel um, sort of separates VFX from dialogue scenes for a lot of the directors who are first-time directors who haven't done a lot of visual effects work. Yeah. And this is a crazy example of a visual effects person who happens to be good at dialogue sequences and telling stories that, like, to me, is like, this is the person who should be doing those movies. Like, this is the person that should be doing Marvel and Star Wars. And I guess they sort of found that with Gareth Edwards as well, um, but it didn't quite work out. Um, And I was like, this is the person that you should give that opportunity to, because, like, he clearly, uh, I think, in the sequences that we described, they are thrilling. 
Um, and they are kind of steeped in a kind of almost Spielbergian language of um, how to reveal things at the right time and how to train your audience to appreciate the visual splendor by giving the right amount of reaction shots, you know, like giving the sense of scale by by showing the horror of the thing we're seeing. You know, like we we don't understand how terrifying Godzilla is um, as a visual effect until we see someone's face, you know, respond to it in the correct way. Um, and that's that's a really good example of good storytelling, visual effects storytelling. So I I was actually quite taken by that. I, I look, I, I have qualms and I have things that I want to discuss. Your, what are some of your qualms? Well, just relating directly to the visual effects um, kind of point of view. I think for me, um, there was on occasion a lack of uh, visual suspense built up to Godzilla's appearance. Um, you know, like he would, there, there was almost like, um, there were certain sequences, you know, there are some that are very good, for example, like in the water. Oh, he's swimming underneath it. We're swimming underneath it and we see the fish kind of bubble up and then and then we see him. But there were other sequences where um, they, they kind of just said, well, Godzilla's on his way and then he was just there, you know? And it was like, oh. kind of like it. I was like, I kind of wish that they had built that up a little bit more, in, you know, to kind of emphasize it. But also the movie's doing so much and there's so much that sure. need, so much business that needs to be done. Um, I was I was kind of taking like on on the positive side. I think the the way that the um, the news crew who are watching Godzilla from a rooftop, you know, and reporting on it, but also being like attacked by him and yep. it, it, him or Godzilla uh, at the same time, I think was really effective. I love that the that they use a full CGI Godzilla, but it does look it, it really references Man in a Suit. Um, like it really kind of walks it moves like man in, in a suit. suit. Yeah, it really you know there's a real reverence for what Godzilla is as a cultural icon in there, I and noticed, it's kind of terrifying. Yeah, I noticed that the, the most terrifying thing that felt a little unnatural but very true to Godzilla was when he walked. When he walked forward, he was yeah. never looking down. Yeah, he's always looking forward. Yeah, yeah. And then when he roars, he goes whoop, and yeah. then he goes down and looks like yeah. yeah. But when he's walking, he's just a T Rex with a straight spine. Yeah, and like he doesn't <laughs> have different physics from man in a suit, which I think was really. Yeah. Really, a really interesting choice. I thought that was good. Side note, we didn't say what the Internet Movie Database tell says us, Godzilla uh, minus yeah. one is about. Post-war Japan is at its lowest point when a new crisis emerges in the form of a giant monster baptized in the horrific power of the atomic bomb. Yep. And that actually, story. yeah, that actually plays into, I believe I asked you because I didn't know um, why it was called Godzilla minus one. And I, I gave you the wrong answer. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Apparently, I was just looking this up and basically uh, it describes Japan, uh, you know, as a leveled nation yeah. uh, and at its lowest point. Yeah. after world war ii and then godzilla happens it's so it's like one. oh you're going lower than the lowest point you're yeah, going yeah, negative yeah. one yeah um so i guess you know you've warmed to the film over time um i want to watch it again yeah i i think and, also and i didn't when we walked out of the theater you didn't want to watch it again when no we i was it. like it's fine i'm good and right. now i'm the more i've thought about it i'm like yeah i have listened to the soundtrack for the last couple of days oh, really? uh, on repeat there's a there's a couple of tracks because i was taken by the music as it happened first off um again lack of hip-hop knowledge and lack of godzilla knowledge but simon says by farrah munch i didn't realize was a godzilla sample um <laughs> oh like, wait what uh, bump 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 yeah yeah but yeah i didn't Oh, really? It did not occur to me. Really? Until until we were in the movie theater and um and and the and that theme started playing. I was like, oh, that's where that comes from. Because I was like, it comes from something, yeah. surely. I did not click that it was Godzilla. <laughs> um, so that was really cool to me. But but I also think the actual score itself was really beautiful and really well played. Um I think uh the you know, 
in a way, Godzilla is the is the least interesting part of the movie, even though Godzilla is quite a compelling, you know, uh, band of destruction. Sure. Um, that's what makes it a good movie. That's what makes it a good movie, right? Like the, the, the laser beam into the sky is not the reason why we watch the movie. Why we watch the movie is trying to figure out how these characters are going to interact with each other. I don't care how cool a destructive moment is. Yeah. If I'm not worried about the people near or around the destructive moment, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. It's why most superhero sky beams don't, you don't yeah. give a shit. You don't care. Um, you know, and I think uh, Shikshima's story is really interesting because it's it's got all the hallmarks of um, a really traditional hero's narrative. And and unfortunately, the, the least convincing part of it is that we... Well, I, as an audience member, understood what was going to happen at the end of the movie before it happens. Well, before it happens. Yeah, it you had know. it had a it had a soap opera feel to it in yeah. that way. Yeah, but I didn't mind it. Yeah. I, at the same time, I was like, "Yes, that is what that story should do." You know, like that is that is clearly what that story is about, and that is the way it should work. I did feel like Akiko, the young girl who is an abandoned baby. Uh, found by, uh, not by Shikshima, but by Naroti, Naroki? Uh, uh, Naroki. Naroki. Um, Played by uh, Minima, Minami, excuse yeah. me, uh, Hamabe. Um, I felt like that was an emotional prop that was being used by the movie to kind of like maneuver the characters. Uh, you know, like he's at once distant from um, uh, Akiko, the baby, um, but then sort of gets a job uh, being a minesweeper, essentially, in order to protect her future because he feels like he needs to have penance for the fact that he failed in his kamikaze pilot days. And then towards the end of the movie, um, you know, we, we, the audience, are kind of a step ahead of the movie here, but understand that he has come to the realization that for him, the war was about dying an honorable death or dying. And he's now comes to the realization before the end of the movie that that is not what the war should be about. And it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. And he comes to that conclusion. And it's, a, and it's, and you know, it works. I think, so it's funny. Yeah. I think the kid works for me. Right. But also I think the reason why the kid works for me yeah. is you could remove the kid and it still works. You could still have the relationship between yeah. him and and, and uh, Noriko. Yeah. And you could have different things come to play. You could have a bunch of different stuff. Like the kid to me felt like an additional spice or a, uh, 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 to go with my food or dinner analogies, like a digestif of the entirety of the thing where it's like, oh, okay. And, and kid heartstrings, the future represented. I, yeah. Like, but, like, but that's what it is, right? Like, it's not like an actual kid. That we care about, it's like no, it's the it's the concept it's, of kids in the future. That's yeah, that, what that that's kid what is. that kid is, and, yeah. and also the kid is the concept of found family, the you know like re reemerged families. Right. In this case. What I'm saying is, you could also find that in different ways too. And yeah. I think, and look, I think the movie is more effective with the kid. Yeah, it could also work without the kid, and the kid does help. Well, some uh, here's what I'll say. I think the kid would help with the cheap seats. Yeah, I, um, like it works. Yeah. It works. Uh, I, and I, I and to be honest, adorable kid. Yeah, made you laugh, made you cry. Yeah. Uh, on like uh, on command. Yeah, and so I was like, yeah, I guess I would say I was a little unconvinced, but but was like, yeah, yeah, that's the way that story should line should work. What really, 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 really worked for me oh. was the was the camaraderie of uh, minesweepers. And uh, the scientist plan for uh, getting rid of Godzilla. I what a fun fucking Rube Goldberg contraption with the with the technology of the time. And and such a like logical 
and thoughtful execution of what, like, okay, it's 1950 or 1947 or whatever, whenever this year this film is, what do they have in their capacity to defeat Godzilla? They could try to wrap it in a cable uh, for what was, what was in the containers? Freon. 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 To then, compress him to, down into the ocean. To compress him into the ocean. And then if that's not enough, attach like balloons to him and inflate them. So he goes crazy down for pressure and then he goes up and gets the bends. You know what I love about this? This is what James Cameron would do. Yeah. You know, like think about right now tonight, the abyss is screening and in the abyss, the whole thing is they have to figure out how to get to lower than water pressure depth. Uh, you know, like there, there's a whole sort of narrative about that. I love that this was is like, is, is akin to what James Cameron would do, which is that like he, there would be, a scientific reason for how to kill Godzilla. Like they don't have the ammunition to do it. They don't have military support from the United States. They're at minus one at this point. So what do they have but the pressure of the ocean? Yeah. And that is brilliant. Yeah. I I was like, when when they started revealing his plan for for how to get rid of Godzilla, I was just like, shifts kiffs. I love this. I I'm a hundred percent invested in you know, just seeing how this idea is going to be executed and what's going to go wrong with it, how they're going to try and fix it on the fly. You know, like the plan is, you know, like all the the, the sort of intricacies of this plot, which is which involves uh, Shinsika. Uh, sorry, I'm going to say the name wrong mm-hmm. again. Uh, Shikshima um, flying out in a plane or at first trying to attract Godzilla with a microphone. Uh, which well, that they, was yeah. The cables did that. The boats did that. Yeah, yeah. which which failed. Yep. Uh, and then uh, Shikshima. Uh, luring, uh, you know, having to go tip the tat with Godzilla to lure it back out to the open water so that they could do this. There was a there's a sort of a trench there that this is the only place it would work. And then then having to like readapt the plan as it as it went out because at some point uh, I believe Godzilla realizes what's going on and uh, bites into the balloon, uh, bites into the uh, inflatable. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't go flying up straight yeah. away as quickly as yeah. they wanted, so he doesn't get the full bends. And then when he finally comes up, yeah. It's left to again. This is why I really love this. Yeah, it's left to literally the one, one man, yeah. and 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 that I do feel like is representing the people yeah. in the way, and and is a full forgiveness arc because the one guy that lived with the initial contact again, this is full spoilers uh, yeah. that Godzilla, where he didn't fire on uh, Godzilla to save the, the rest of these mechanic crews where he lands yeah. initially at the beginning of the movie. He's the only mechanic that can fix this plane. And he has to convince him. He like writes him insulting letters to get him to yeah, come yeah. work on it. Touch your butt. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. And and then he, that guy, after working on this jet and working with this man and seeing what this the, what our hero is going to be doing, installs an ejector seat. So good. And like, so good. it's only due to the man who hated him the most. Yeah. That he's alive. And what I uh, what I also love about this from a narrative arc point of view is, and I think this was a distinction as well, is that there is a sort of nationalistic pride at play with the the, the group of civilians that have agreed to yeah. take on uh, Godzilla, where they, they, they mentioned, like you say, they agree that Japan has not handled the war very well. It is because of the the government's uh, organizing principles that we have left, we've got people in starvation, we've uh, run out of resources and ammunition, and then their main goal is to stop Tokyo from being bombed or Tokyo from being attacked by Godzilla. Yeah, they're the, and, they're the first or middle line of defense. Yeah, and there's a sense that, you know, like while the film eventually hinges upon one person's heroic deed, that heroic, you know, there's a sort of pursuit of the collective 
Bitterment? The common man gets the government to give them useless tools. Mm. Decommissioned warships with no fucking guns. Yeah. And like, and then they are the ones that basically but, defend the country. But the organizing principle of, of that group is that it is better for us to come together as a collective unit and work together to rid uh, to rid this problem because that we're doing that for Japan. Yeah. And it was like a nationalistic sense of like why we should do this. Well, if you look at it's again, I will not pretend to be an expert in uh, Japanese uh, politics over the ages, but we've done a few yeah. different series on it. Yeah. And one thing that I've gleaned about Japan as a country is there's always the governing body of Japan, but then they have such, it seems to me historically mm. a a deep-seated reverence for their country as a concept. Yeah. And that's something, it's funny. America pretends it mm. does. Yeah. Um. <laughs> again, America's much younger, but Japan seems to, and it seems like many characters even throughout history, like, again, this movie felt true to what, common people have done in various Japanese dynasties in different, not fight giant monsters, yeah. but you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. the common people come together for the good of what they consider the country. A lot of times, not the government. Yeah. And seven, some, and, and often, seven samurai. And often too, sometimes that fails on them. Yeah. Like that's, they're not always. Yeah. And, we, and, and like we say in every conversation, we are biased by our own cultural backgrounds and, oh, we, yeah. and we are, you know, like biased and ignorant by our own cultural backgrounds. And we are also, uh, don't want to suggest that any uh, any film that we discuss and reference to a particular culture uh, is a monolith, yeah. just as we wouldn't say that about America. So so just you know putting that out there yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but I loved that this felt very different to what we would experience in the sort of blockbuster of you know like an American blockbuster. Because here's the weird thing: mm, yeah. this had all the stuff you need in a blockbuster. It mm. is a blockbuster. Mm. It just said something. Yeah, and and again. And Mad Max something. Fury Road. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what the, that's what the distinction is. That's what Mad Max Fury Road does so well. Question: Can okay. we pivot ever so slightly away from Mad Max? Never. No, we're <laughs> actually pivoting toward. Mad okay, Max. all right. So the Furiosa trailer okay. came. Out. I know you're not watching it. Okay, I did listen to the soundtrack. Okay. Yeah. So I listened to the trailer. The trailer. <laughs> I think it is because. It has such a pedigree to live up to, yeah. even though it is George Miller. And it's, you know, it's, it's, I, I have every sort of uh, hope and dream for this movie. Yeah. Uh, I was just curious. You've, okay, you listen to the soundtrack. I, what, like, <laughs> how do you think this is going to go? I have no inkling whatsoever about Mad Max, other than to say I am more excited about that from a pure giddy child at the movies kind of approach than, than I would be for most things. Yeah. Um, and I will be there. I will be there to see it. I uh, think, I think where this movie works to just swinging back into mm -hmm. it from that statement, mm -hmm. I think Mad Max gives us that because it kind of the excellence and the podcast starting power yeah. <laughs> of Mad Max Fury Road kind of came out of left field. Right. And, and that's not to, to be, say that George Miller doesn't make good stuff. It's yeah. just that's a far, that's a one in a million. And, and movie. so did Go Godzilla minus one. That's what and, I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I will agree. Uh, for me, it didn't quite live up to the sure. best movie of the year kind of hype that the conversation that led us into the theater. But but what movie would? 
You know, like which, which what can we say would do that? This movie will be easily on my top 10 list. And yeah. if you had told me at the beginning of the year that a fucking Godzilla movie yeah. was going to be on my top 10 list for the year, I like I would have I would have not bet for that. Like yeah. I just I would have lost money. Um it's they've made they've done what I've said Godzilla movies need to do from the beginning mm -hmm. and they've made people give a shit about the people and the situations that people are in. I know the Monarch show is on Apple TV. Yes, there is a Godzilla show there. And I know that Kurt Russell is in it. Yeah. Kurt Russell's the only reason I want to watch that thing. Right. Um and I haven't even though I've, you know, the other Godzilla movies lately Godzilla versus Kong were like fine. Yeah. It didn't like make me give a shit about anyone outside of Godzilla and Kong. Right. Like I couldn't I name I you a fucking character in any of those movies other than Godzilla and Kong. And they're on the screen way more than Godzilla and Kong. So this is a statistic that's been floating around on the internet for the last uh, week or so. And uh, I think there's been a lot of commentary about this number um, and what, and, and not to take it as, um, as a triumph of efficiency, but maybe like a sign of like a problematic pr production, but Godzilla Minus one cost fifteen million dollars to make. Crazy. Godzilla King of Monsters cost one hundred seventy million dollars to make. Yeah. Uh, so we're talking more than a multiple of ten here. Um, and uh, I think you know, like some of the commentary that's come out of that is that visual effects artists are paid poorly mm -hmm. uh, in Japan and and are not unionized and and have fewer protections than they have in America, even though America has you know few protections as it is right now. Um, but it does point to kind of, I guess, the War of the Worlds effect that we talked about with Spielberg as well, uh, which is the, you know, we talked about when Spielberg made War of the Worlds, I can't remember which episode we discussed this in, when Spielberg made War of the Worlds, uh, there was an incredible amount of efficiency for the visual effects teams on that film because uh, so much of the film was pre-designed uh, to, you know, show visual effects at the right moment and then not show them at the right moment. Um, and I got that sense with this movie as well. Now, you know, whether the budget conversation, um, you know, leads to a more uh, uh, treacherous uh, navigation of commentary about the distinction between the Japanese filmmaking industry versus the American filmmaking industry, I'm fully aware that, yep. you know, that, that might be the case. But what I did appreciate in this was the sense that sequences were designed to maximize not just the visual effect, but the response to the visual effect. Yep. And that gave it weight. And then not only that, they were clearly steeped in a clear understanding of what the metaphor is supposed to be. Yeah. So War of the Worlds is another great one where the metaphor was 9-11. Uh, and in um, Godzilla Minus One, World War II and the atomic bomb clearly is the reigning metaphor for why that movie, yeah. you know, why, what Godzilla is. And there's a clear reference point for that, that we clearly, un, you know, in a real world scene, uh, understand. Yeah. It doesn't always have to be that way. Mad Max Fury Road, you know, it, 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 feels, like the a, world? it feels like a Hieronymus Bosch painting. But like, um, you know, I just think there's a real clear sense of efficiency and clarity to this film. And that's what I like about it. What you brought up about the reaction to the effect from the characters. Yeah. Like, I, I think that's huge. It's something that Marvel used to do. Like if you look at- But the it became funny. I, yeah. yeah. But if you look at the Avengers, yeah. the first Avengers, the New York, the attack on New York City, mm -hmm. it works because of all the normal people around. Yeah. There's the waitress in the- um, the Ashley in, Johnson. Yeah. In the cafe. Yeah. Kind of but yeah. like, that's like a small thing. But even like just- 
people in the streets yeah. running, looking up. The cops Captain America talks to, the people Hawkeye saves in the office building, yeah. or like or, or Captain America, I think, does that too. But like, there's just diff like there's people and yeah. they're reacting to the fucking chaos that's going around them. And I feel like for the last what, 10, 10 ish years, eight years, every big blockbuster, Marvel included, like that's not there. It's yeah. just big splashes of color. And here they, they, they know how to make not only their stuff look good, but in their limited capacity that they can also know that the characters would be seeing this thing. And they focus on the characters because the characters I argue the human characters are more important in this movie than Godzilla. And that's how you make these fucking movies. The, the, can I tell you what my favorite, like absolute without, without equal favorite sequence in this movie sure. is? It's right after um, Shikshima, um, you know, the attack on Ginza. Mm -hmm. So the attack on Ginza happens. Godzilla has flown, has come in, uh, destroyed trains. Naroki, uh, Naroka uh, has um, probably been killed. She is, uh, she has been, um, swept away um brutal you know it's a brutal scene uh and and shikshima walks out to see the the destruction and it is like complete and utter devastation like there's no remnants you know there's nothing mm -hmm. you're gonna see and he turns around and godzilla is above him again uh like uh godzilla was in away island and there is a black rain that falls on his face and the horror that he expresses in that sequence is palpable like he is screaming not only a terror of what he's just seen, but an existential terror of the fact that he could have prevented this had he done more and that he, his life, you know, like his, the, everything has been taken away from him in that moment. That scene, it's a, it's a zoom out of his face and black rain starts to pour on his face. That's the best visual effects and, you know, visual effect in the film. Yeah. That is, that is, that sequence solidifies cells, gives us placement for everything else that happens around it. And that's what that's what these films. You know, I talk about in um, Jurassic Park when Sam Neill takes off his sunglasses. Yep. You know, and he and he's shaking, and the sunglasses come off crooked. He's reacting. He's that, acting. He's that is the you know that is the thing um, that makes these sequences work. Um, and and so I loved that. That was my favorite moment in this movie. And you can have movies with lots of those moments like mm -hmm. this one is, and also have your cake and eat it too in the sense like there's indulgent special effects in this mm -hmm. the way godzilla's uh radiation beam works uh, it's amazing it's <laughs> fucking cool as hell and ridiculous yeah. like the plates on his back that used to just glow before yeah, he yeah. shot a thing he's like a nerf gun the, yeah he, he's <laughs> literally a fucking nerf gun he, yeah. like they rise up and glow and, and then they, they push down into the thing like it's pushing the energy yeah, out yeah. from his tail yeah. to his mouth yeah it's you think about it for more than five seconds, it's dumb as shit, but it looks so fucking cool and scary. And other characters are reacting to, oh, now a bomb, but dinosaur. Yeah. And it feels real and terrifying. Like it's also, we've seen the blue energy beam before, but we didn't know how it worked. So when we see the, the kind of scales moving up and down kind of thing, we are now learning, you know, we're, we're, we're adding a story beat internally. Yeah. That is not being explained to us. We're just kind of seeing it in action. Um, so it, it's it's rad. Look, yeah, I, as I said before, and this will kind of be my final thoughts on the movie, um, some of this is unconvincing. Some of this doesn't quite land for me. But it does land in all the right places. And it is, uh, it is a great blockbuster. Yeah. It is a truly great blockbuster. I think... It's funny. I'm not going to disagree that stuff doesn't 
like yeah. in the quotes of the air land. Yeah. Um, but as I've been thinking about it in my mind, and this is why I'm so curious to watch it again, I'm starting to see most of those moments as strengths, not weaknesses. Sure. Um, because it gets to the heart of what this movie is about, which is what we've talked about for the last fucking what? Like, yeah, 50 some odd minutes. Yeah. Like this movie is about a cultural tragedy through the eyes of one man who believes in the country that put him there. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it's also about a giant radioactive lizard who's smashing through buildings and yeah. throwing boats fucking miles. Yeah. Like it and does both things. And it it's crazy that it works. And the secret sauce, in my opinion, something you hit on, it's the human reactions to what is going on and a situational awareness that everything the humans are doing has to tie in to everything that the monsters are doing or else nothing fucking matters. And it's the, those things, are the, the human emotional response is far more important than the actual, like the visual effects could be uh, you know, arbitrarily 50% less polished. Sure. Unless these, and, and we'll still work fine if if this works better. And, I, you know, like, I don't want to do, well, I don't like doing this, but just, again, recent memory of films. Uh, you Napole like doing this. Napoleon, the Marvels, the creator. You know, big movies with big blockbuster style moments in them. But what do we take away from those, from just those three movies in general? You know, compared to what we took away from this. Yeah. You know, like it's 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 night and day. And that's why this works so well. And that's why I'm glad we did it. I'm glad we 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 did the emergency broadcast. I have some bad news here. Okay, what's that? Well, it's bad news for it's bad news for past us, even though I had a really good time, so maybe it doesn't matter. Okay. Uh due to the success of Godzilla minus one, the theatrical release has been pushed by Toho one more week. That's excellent. Yeah. So that's it's going great. to be actually available for people to see. Actually, that's by the fun. time this airs. No, it would have finished by the time oh, this aired. Oh, shoot! Yeah. But, but, but look, uh, I will put out posts on the socials and, you know, uh, just create the rallying cry for this film. Yeah. As, as, like, if you're looking, you know, if you've been looking for this kind of movie, you can do no better, you yeah. know, than this right now. And this is, and this is, this is wonderful. Yeah, it sticks. It's funny. It's going to run till the, till the 14th or the 15th. Yeah, that's, uh, we thought it was so we we, we thought it was going to be ending on the eighth. Yeah, and we and we rushed out to see it for that reason. Uh, but you'll be hearing this podcast on Nebula on the sixteenth, or in real life, in real yeah. life, in yeah. every other RSS feed. Yeah, yeah. on the seventeenth. Okay, uh, we hope you went to see it. Yeah, I will promote as much as I can. Um, you know, to for people to go see it. But so much, you know, this is again a silly thing to say. So much worth more of your time, your effort, your money than Napoleon of the Marvels of the Grid. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. yeah, just just like a, 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 a magnitude, an order of magnitude higher. And uh, if I had known how much, uh, honestly, historical uh, uh, storytelling was going on here, it would have been great to get Rob's take, who was yeah. on our Napoleon episode, uh, yeah. head writer of Extra History, because I think he'd have a lot to say based on all the research we've done in Japan. Pointing out that we are complete ignorance. Oh, yeah, a thousand percent. We're big dummies about this. A thousand this. percent. Yeah, yeah, we're big old dummies. Anyway, <laughs> this has been the only podcast about the film Godzilla Minus One. Shahir, when you are not strapping bombs to various vehicles where, uh, Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> with your mechanic best friend to rid the world of giant radioactive lizards, where can folks find you? 
Uh, you can find me rejecting all metaphors for the sake of cultural <laughs> sensitivity on my website at www.shahirdow.com uh, or my company site at www.suvanova.com, that's S-U-V-A, uh, N-O-V-A. Uh, Matt, when you are making apt metaphors, which make me want to hold my face in horror as a VFX reaction shot from this movie, where can people find you? You can find me missing all kinds of marks over, not at my website. Don't go there. It's bad. Uh, go check out Extra History on YouTube and Extra Credits on YouTube. Also, please check out, uh, oh, there was uh, TLDR News. Uh, friends of mine, uh, they they do a wonderful news, uh, a bunch of different news shows, both on YouTube and Nebula. They also did the Final Frontier for them and released a newspaper one edition of a newspaper uh that you can order i believe still hopefully uh, uh and i wrote an article about video game movies in it patrick right. willems wrote something in there too and a bunch of uh, uh, johnny harris is in there and they just they do great news on their own they don't need all of us yeah um but it was just a really cool experience i'd never been had anything i've ever written be put into a newspaper before <laughs> and that was pretty cool uh what was your take on video the state of video game movies they sure are <laughs> Not understanding the vibe check. One of the biggest movies of the year was Super Mario Brothers, right? It's still, I do not agree that it understood the vibe check. Okay. Financially. Okay. Sure. Okay. Uh, anyway. Not a big Five Nights at Freddy fan? I didn't I didn't get to, that was my one, that was my one blind spot for this, for this article. Um, I haven't seen it either, yeah. <laughs> to, to be honest with you, but. Uh, well, next yeah. week, Five Nights, no. Yeah. <laughs> Freddy Fazbear's. We are catching, we're going to be catching up um, with. So this comes out before Christmas, the week before it Christmas? It sure does. Yeah, yeah. We got a lot to catch up. There's, you know, Poor Things is coming out. The Iron Claw is coming out. We talked about all these movies. Uh, there's a lot of great movies out right now. I, Good time to go to the movies. I do want to get a Christmas episode released yeah. on Christmas Eve. Okay. Here's the thing. Email okay. us in. Okay. Onlymoviepodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Okay. <laughs> with a Christmas film that you think, to make sure you're sane, mm -hmm. actually has something to say. Mm -hmm. And that we can talk about. I mean, it's a wonderful life. I mean, we could. Yeah, that's but the like, one. Th well, th that's one. That's the one. But like, <laughs> I'm just curious what our listeners would think about that. And actually, so other than that, I have two homework assignments for you. One <laughs> is that. Two, I've asked this before, but I think I just want to start asking it again at the end of the episodes. If you are liking what you're, what we're, what we're peddling here for free. Um, <laughs> And, if, and to be honest, if you've gotten to this point, it seems like you do, or you just left us on while you're doing something else. And you can't get to whatever device is playing this fast enough to shut it off. I think someone's trying to turn us off right at the yeah. second. Uh, do me a, a, a solid, us a solid, and just tell a real life friend about it. Okay. And what if they don't have friends? This is all, my, this is my all dilemma. All of <laughs> our listeners have many friends. I don't. I said our <laughs> listeners. I'm not talking about us. I mean, I'm just serious. I feel like the, at this point, one of the best things you can do to help support the podcast that costs absolutely zero money is just tell other people that, uh, that you think would like our show about our show. Okay. Um, maybe even point them at a specific episode that you like or about a movie that you know they have strong feelings about. Right. I think that'd be really funny. And what my, my future goal is to get one of these hypothetical new people to email us in and tell us that is how they came to the podcast. Okay. Someone told them a thing. Yeah. Someone told me that you requested they do the thing. Like, I just want that connective tissue because I think it'd be really neat. Okay. Anyway, secret minor goal for the holidays. <laughs> um, until next time, remember, don't get irradiated. Don't get irradiated. Oh, I was going to say, what is, what's minus one for the podcast? Oh. What's, a, what's our ground zero and minus one? Mm. Poor terminology excluded. Let's see. Uh, our, our C level. Yeah. 
trying to think of like the worst, worst what's the, the worst, worst episode, episode we've, we've done. Ever, oh God, what is the worst episode we've ever Email done? Email us in on that too, yeah, and yeah. then we'll figure out. And then what's the what's worse than that? We haven't done it yet. Oh, we will. Maybe though. we have. Don't worry, we will. All right, talk <laughs> we'll to you later, there. everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.